Hi, and welcome to the Daring to Leap podcast. I'm your host, Lori Phillip. I'm so excited to dive into this week's episode with you. Our special guest, Eugenia Jordan, navigated to the top of the male-dominated telecom industry, working her way up from secretary to chief marketing officer. She's here to share her powerful story and advice on how you can break barriers and succeed in a workplace not designed for you. Let's dive in. Eugenia started her telecom career as a secretary and now has become the chief marketing officer of the prominent industry organization, Telecom Infra Project. She has over 20 years of strategic marketing experience. She is an inventor holding 12 patents on 5G and open RAN. Her passion is to mentor other women in tech. And her leadership book, Unlimited, The 17 Proven Laws for Success in a Workplace Not Designed for You, was published in June of 2023. Welcome to the show, Eugenia. Thank you so, so very much for having me, Lori, on your show. Absolutely. I'm so excited that you're here. We had such a a great pre-chat. So there's so much to talk about. And let's just go ahead and get started. And I'm really curious about your, your journey. You've had such a long and beautiful career, starting as a secretary, now in that CMO position. How did you get from here to here? And I assume it wasn't easy peasy. So as you already know, it's never easy peasy. It re- requires hard work. So we all become overnight success after working for 20, 25 years. And then mm-hmm. we get lucky. So people see, don't see the work, the tears, the sweat. My story, where I grew up, is a part of my journey mm-hmm. as well. Because I grew up in communist Russia. And I grew up in a very modest family. My mom was a single mom, and what it meant, sometimes we didn't even have enough food, so we would go and knock on the neighbor's door to get macaroni for dinner. And my mom, God bless her, she passed away 11 years ago. Mm. She always knew I deserved better, so she instilled love for education, so she gave me the best education. I have masters in teaching. So she scraped enough money, her and my grandfather, to send me to Canada at the age of 24. And that's where I got my second degree. So to answer your question, what helped me to move from secretary into the CMO position? Number one is curiosity. Hunger for knowledge to learn things. Number two, Knowing from my mama, that's what we call them, mothers Mm -hmm. in Russia, from my mama, that I deserved better. And number three, building a wonderful support circle and the network, because it takes a village for an underrepresented like me to become or get into the C-suite. Thank you for sharing that. Our origin story, but really, if you dig deep, it always starts with our family experience and growing up in those, wherever that was for each person. And being underrepresented 
in as an immigrant, as a woman, has its challenges as it is. And I'm curious around why telecom and and this type of industry where and you know this better than I do, but it is highly male dominated industry. So it's going to be the barriers are even greater than some of the other industries where women are more likely to succeed a little bit easier. Such a good question, because if in 2001, when I was entering telecom, I knew how hard it's going to be that I will have to fight for everything, not just for me, but also for people like me, Mm -hmm. I would have given a couple extra thoughts. (laughs) I fell into telecom. It was 9-11, after 9-11, and there was no jobs available. The market froze, and I had a mom in Canada. I needed to support her, so I had to get a job, and... The only job that wanted me was a tiny little telecom startup. They had a temporary opening for receptionist. Mm. And the CEO, the reason he hired me, because of my fire in the belly, he always told me that. He wasn't hiring me as a receptionist. He was hiring someone with passion, smarts, desire to succeed, to help him build a company. And what's his interesting. I'm going to reference Hamilton because that's how I describe my career as well. The musical, I was given a shot and I Mm -hmm. didn't throw away that shot. And that is important for underrepresented taking that shot, finding those supporters in just working towards what they want to achieve. I wanted to be in marketing and it took me six years to move from being a secretary, executive, uh, assistant, chief of staff into Mm -hmm. the marketing role. And that CEO became became my biggest, biggest supporter and a sponsor. And then my first marketing boss, he gave me a chance because, again, he saw that fire in the belly. Yeah, and I I love that you bring that up because... Sometimes that's what it is. That next step is the step right in front of you. And that's where you can start and you can take that shot and navigate from there until a point that you decide you want to do something else or you have more opportunities come in. But there's always that first step. And the journey is, could be starting as receptionist. It could be starting as some other position and then getting to know the right people, showing them your worth, these types of things. I want to transition a bit into some of the the laws in your book. And I really, really love how you focus this leadership book around for, for individuals, underrepresented individuals, to help them navigate in a workplace not designed for them. When I read that in your bio, I resonated with it quite a bit. And it's it's fairly clear to people that go into corporate or go into certain environments and they know right away that this was not set up for someone like me, which just makes there be more barriers, more concerns, more doubts, more 
but it's just, it's not very smooth. And like I said early, easy peasy. I was kind of saying that in jest, but it, it's not that. And so tell me a bit about why did you decide to write this book? And you mentioned to me about representation, even in writing a leadership book. Can you share that story with, with the audience? Absolutely. Ab absolutely. So if we look at data, um, I, I have a research background, so you can see it in my book. There's a lot of research and also is underrepresented. We need to lead with facts and data and not our emotion because it's very hard to fight data and facts. So you were talking about corporate, Lori, and it's not mm -hmm. just corporate. Only 2 or 3% of available funding, venture funding, goes to women. And it's even mm -hmm. lower, much lower for people of color. So there is a disparity there. In my industry, there's only 13, 12% of T-level leaders female. There is no data for people of color or immigrant females. Because to the system, there's so very little of us, we don't exist. Leadership book, when I started writing it and started thinking about the promotional campaign, I was thinking, what is the angle? Because I realized that there's a lot of leadership book written by men and obviously for men. And then I came across a very interesting data point that in 2020, there were more books written by the name of, by a person named John than women, people of color, or immigrants combined. Wow. So that's an interesting piece of data because there's nothing, and I always say it, and it's, I think it's in my book as well, there's nothing wrong with those books, nothing. They're leadership classics. I read them. I enjoy reading them. What is obvious that those authors, they don't know how to relate to people like me, women, immigrant, or how to relate to people of color. Because in my book, there is a chapter with an expert that speaking while immigrant female, we know that when you're a female, it's very different when you speak in meetings, when you're a um, person of color, when you speak, it's different when you're um, African-American female, or if you're an immigrant female, it's extremely different. How many times I was told I'm yelling. I have a low voice and I have an accent. I'm not yelling. That's how I speak. How many times I was told that I'm aggressive and bossy. So speaking while immigrant female, knowing all that data that we are underrepresented, leadership books are not written for us and by us. That was the motivation for me to write that book. Yes. And I, it's such an interesting story. And I, I love you come at it from facts and data because I, I like to, I tend to see things very intuitively. And it, when you said that, I was like, you're right. There, there are probably more book leadership books written by John in 2020 than ever, 
all of the underrepresented groups combined. And to me, it really says something about those strategies in those books, like you said, are, are worth reading. But there is a different perspective that, that needs to be shared. And I love that you wrote the book having had the experience of navigating your career over the years and then reaching to the C-suite level, which is still a very difficult thing to do for most women. And so I kudos for going for it, Eugenia, and writing the book. And I hope some of the viewers will check it out when they have a chance. Let's talk a bit about some of those strategies or the, the laws of success. And I think where I want to start is you mentioned earlier when we were chatting about your journey, your sponsor. And I know we had talked about how important sponsors are in a career journey. And let's just start with what is a sponsor? How is it different than a mentor? Because it is different, right? What is your perspective on that? Why is, why is having a sponsor so important? So you're absolutely right. As women, we don't realize that having that person in our corner is super important because we believe we're going to get the promotions if we work hard and we don't get those promotions because there are rooms where we are not represented. So we need to have someone in that role where there is a conversation about who to get promoted. Our name is going to be mentioned. Mm -hmm. Difference between mentor and sponsor. Mentor is going to help you get better. Sponsor is going to give you opportunities. And sponsor is going to mention your name in their own when you're not there. And I always describe the, my former CEO from 20 years ago who became my sponsor because he vouched for me and my work when I asked for the transfer into marketing. And you were talking about how we all need to take the first step. It was super scary asking him because I didn't know what he was going to say. I got up from the desk when I asked for the transfer into marketing gave me a huge hug and he said he couldn't hold my ambition. Mm. And 15 years later, I mailed him the book with the note and sent me a WhatsApp. And he said, till this day, I remember that day when you walked into my office, marched into my office, and we didn't make the right decision for you and me only. We made that the right decision for the companies, industries, and people that you've impacted. Having someone that knows what you can do even before you know it is going to propel any underrepresented individual to that success. So if people listening to this podcast and they want to one takeaway, find that sponsor that's going to help you realize your full potential. Yeah. Sure, I think we all want to have someone in our corner, someone willing to bring up our name in the room when we're not there. 
I'm curious about what your advice is for somebody who's like, okay, I I have some mentors or I have some trusted colleagues and people that I go to to talk about work, but how do I get a sponsor that's at the appropriate level to be in those rooms if I don't already have one? It's, I think for some people, it feels like a bit of a stretch. So where, where does a person start to, to look for and find a sponsor and then cultivate that relationship with them? And Lori, that's a key. It's all about cultivating the relationship. No one is going to vouch for you if you haven't proven yourself to that person. So sponsorship is not given. Sponsorship is earned. And unfortunately, as women, we get five times less sponsors than men. And it's just psychologically, because men who are in the position of power, they gravitate toward young men because they remind them of themselves when they were young. Yeah. So it it starts with developing that relationship. It starts with identifying those humans in your organization. And approaching them, talking to them, your career aspirations, and not asking, going and saying, oh, I want this promotion. It's exploring. It's talking to them how they got there, building that relationship, and then proving. You're proving that you can do the job. The reason that my CEO sponsored me into the marketing role, because I've proven myself. He was Mm -hmm. able to vouch for the work that I did, the dedication. So start, so if you want the roadmap, how you can find a sponsor. Number one, identify people in your organization, get to know them or about them first. That's step number one. Step number two, reach out for career advice. Many people in leadership roles, they feel honored. And they always want to give back to younger generation or even mid-career level individual. So that's number two. And number three, schedule conversations with this person. Offer to help because as you develop that relationship, they might say, oh, I need this project is so challenging. So take a stretch assignment from that person. And now that it's not going to happen within a month or two months. It might take a year or two to earn that. So Mm -hmm. if you want to stay with the same organization, and if you want to get that promotion outside of your organization, that the only way to do it is to look for another job and your next title. So you always have a choice. Finding a sponsor, working on that relationship, or going out there interviewing and finding that next um, level outside of the company that you're currently with. Yeah, thank you for the step-by-step process. I think sometimes we're like, oh, that sounds good in theory, but how do I do it? And what came up for me while you were talking is if I'm somebody who's thinking about, okay, I I need to get a sponsor, I don't have one, and then self-doubt comes up a bit like reaching out to some of these people. And so I think I want to talk a bit about imposter syndrome and how can people, women, start to get past 
the doubt, self-doubts and their capabilities and feel like, yes, you know what? I deserve to speak to these people. I'm a, a good part of this organization. I have great work. And, and really see the true value that they bring forward. And I, I say this knowing that, that you've had some of these doubts come up. So maybe we can start with that. Like, share with us how you get past some of the doubts that you have as you've moved through the ranks. So I'm going to share a story. With my previous company, I started as a director of marketing. Then I got promoted into vice president of marketing. And I was told that there was a person, an engineer, that when he reached, he got approached about a job in that company, he remembered me from 20 years ago when I was a receptionist. And he said, oh my God, a receptionist is now running marketing at that company. So when it came down to me, of course, you're going to say, oh, my God, two steps. Number one, accepting all parts of your story. Where you started is not your destination. And number two is writing a brag list. I looked at my brag list. I was a VP of marketing. I had patents. I started a new market category. I was invited to speak. So in, since 2001, and it was, I think it was maybe 2017 or 18. So in those 18 years, I've achieved all that patents, industry recognition, um, written articles in, in the industry. And that person was still an engineer. What a powerful story, Eugenia. And I, I love this idea of the brag list and also owning your full story and where I love this idea of where you start is not where your end destination is. So true for so many people. And that brag list is so important because I think in the moment when we're feeling these feelings, all of the facts and data and the knowing about our capabilities like flies right out the door, right? It's like, oh yeah, I forgot I spoke at that industry event last week and I was entitled to be there. I was a speaker. And so I think this is a powerful tool for somebody, especially when you get into that emotional state, to bring in the facts and data as we go back to that idea of, wow, I have done these things. And let that sink in. And think about, like, if somebody else said, I've accomplished these things, what would you think about them? You'd be, wow. So don't just blow over it and say, oh, yeah, I did this. Oh, yeah, I did that. No, you did. And if you're listening to our conversation right now, I know you've done some hard things. You're a person that likes to learn and grow and reach. And so when you write your brag list, put the stuff on there and let it sink in. I love that. So what I do with my brag list I would suggest to your listeners, write it down or type it on your phone, whatever works. Take a screenshot and save that screenshot to your camera roll. So next time there's a doubt, you go and you look at that brag list that is in your phone, saved as a screenshot. And it's all about managing the emotions. 
there is so many people out there that will want to make you feel small. Why would you want to make yourself feel small? Always make yourself feel big and always bet on yourself and always celebrate you. Yeah, that's a that's a really important point. It really all does start with ourselves. And it's with what's what's the beauty of it, whether you like it or not, is it's within our control. Um with practice, with work, you can reframe these thoughts you're having about yourself and shift them into more empowering thoughts that that can in, make yourself feel as capable and bright as you are. And that's, we're not trying to say you should think of yourself like way bigger than, than that's past what you're doing. Like you're already, like give yourself that credit of where you're at. And that is a beautiful starting point for sure. Absolutely. You are in a position you are now because you deserve it. No one gave it to you because anything, right? So no one just gave it to you. You are in the seat that you are right now because you deserve it, because you're doing an awesome job. So as Lori suggested, start reframing those thoughts. Start thinking, why are those thoughts coming into my mind? And sometimes they're triggers, triggers from the past. Someone yelled at you in the past or someone said unkind thing to you. So instead of thinking about triggers, think about glimmers. And glimmers are obviously opposite of triggers. And there are situations where someone praised you, where someone sent you an email saying what an amazing job you did, or someone clapped after your presentation. So think about glimmers and help those glimmers make you leap, leap to your next level, to your next project, and start reframing today. So let's let's shift gears here, Eugenia. I'd love to hear what other success principles or laws that you'd like to bring into the conversation today. Thank you. So we already talked about the first law, the first set of laws around an individual. Just like you, I believe it's in our control. System exists. We cannot allow the system to limit ourselves. So it's the first set of laws, self-awareness, learning, negotiate, working on your thoughts, making yourself better. Then the second set of laws, it's about your village, your community, your supporters, your sponsors, and how you network. And I think for many women, we feel that networking is yicky. So we suggested to reframe your thoughts about imposter syndrome. I'm suggesting this in the same manner, reframe how you network, ladies, and realize that women network differently. I, for example, I don't drink, I don't golf, I don't do all those things that normally is associated with networking. I've built multiple communities because I realized I network by giving to people. I network by connecting people. And I realized that women, that's how we network, by giving, by supporting one another. So network the way that 
your mental network, build communities, build those relationships, reach out to people on LinkedIn, um, reach out to people in your company, connect with them, offer help. And this is how you can build a very supportive community. And this is how you can network at events on LinkedIn within your company by offering to help. Yeah, I like this idea. And I, I think it's so applicable to so many aspects of the way we show up, the way we do things. And the, networking is a prime example of, okay, when you think of networking, you think of it in a certain way because that's how it's been done in the past by the majority. And the majority is, you know, likely to be men and around the things that they like to do. Right. And so, at some point, we get to give ourselves permission to do activities, whether it's networking, whether it's leadership, whether it's completing a project in a way that aligns with your authentic self and the way you like to do things. And when we give ourselves that permission, it's so powerful. And I believe that the results are, I don't know, I don't have data around how many X it's better. But the results are better because you're, if you feel icky about networking and you shift it into an approach that works for you that you like to do, you're going to do it. And the difference between not doing it and doing it is huge in a career where you do need to have that community. You do need to have other people on your side. What are your thoughts on that, Eugenia? Absolutely. And I can tell you a story about how community helped me and my colleagues when we were laid off as a part of a mass mm -hmm. layoff last year. So, and it comes hand in hand having a strong personal brand. And as you mentioned, Lori, women hesitate to network and women also hesitate to build their professional brands. It's like dating. I met my husband 12 years ago, 13 years ago now on match.com. So we lived one mile apart from each other. I was a single mom. He was a business owner. Unless we advertised that we were available and looking for love, we would have found one another. Personal brand is same thing. It's you showcasing your expertise. I call it job security. Everyone knows who you are. That's number one. Number two, as you were talking about accomplishments, it's you doing serve a service to your employer because the best employee is out there promoting the company and what the company does. And number three, it's a service to people like you that they see you out there doing wonderful things, doing amazing things, and they realize they can be like you. If you see them, you can be them. So to continue your thought on networking, networking comes with building community and building that professional brand and sharing your stories. If I didn't share my stories, if I did have a strong personal brand, by the time we got laid off last June, no one would have reached out. 
I posted one post on LinkedIn, letting the my network know that 600 people, wonderful individuals and professionals were laid off. And the comments on that post were from competitors, were from industry analysts and my executive women network because they knew me as a human and humans want to help other humans. So competitors, they set up task forces. So all I was doing for the three weeks after the layoff is reposting jobs and connecting individuals. So networking to me is helping. Community to me is giving first. Personal brand is to use it for good, educate or help. And if, like you were saying, women, we do it differently and giving yourself permission to network your way, like Burger King says, network your way, build your personal brand your way and do what you're authentically, what authentically feels right to you. Mm. I like that you brought in personal brand because I think we can often feel like if we're if we're putting ourselves out there, it can feel vulnerable and creating it in such a way where you don't feel like, okay, I'm this is my personal brand of me being awesome. I love this idea of creating your brand around supporting others and being helpful and showcasing your your organization and doing things like we go back to that you feel good about doing and not doing it so much because you feel like I need to post something about me being smart or having I don't have anything to say that kind of thing all of a sudden that goes out the window when your objective is in in a supportive service oriented approach I hadn't thought about it that way before, and I appreciate that perspective, Eugenia. Of course, I'm, and it's we all, as women, that's where imposter creeps in as well. We mm-hmm. feel that everything that is I want to post already been said before, but you have your own perspective as an individual. You have your own thoughts. You have your own experiences. And many people out there want to hear it. They want to learn. They want to get inspired. And realizing that you matter. Your opinion matters. Your expertise matters. And sharing that as a service will help women overcome that, oh, I might not be smart enough, or I I might not have anything to say. You do. I thank you for that. Eugenia, it's so powerful. And as we start to close out the conversation, I'd love to get your thoughts speaking to women listeners, underrepresented people navigating this workplace that was not designed for them. If you could give them a little pep talk as we wrap up here, I'd love to hear what you have to say. So there's a question in my book and I always ask myself that question, and I want to ask you ladies the same question when there is a new project, when you want to post something, when you want to ask for a sponsor. I ask myself, why not me? 
Mm. I want to ask you that question as well. Why not you? You're smart. You're hardworking. You deserve to realize your full potential. You can learn. So why not you? Why not you get that promotion? Why not you build that personal brand? Why not you talk about those accomplishments? So when you ask that question yourself, it's a rhetorical question. There's no answer. Because if you start saying, oh, because I'm not this or not that, then you need to start reframing because you are that and you are all that and even more. Oh, Eugenia, I could talk to you for hours, but we have to wrap up. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know somebody needed to hear it. And that is the power of being a little bit vulnerable, putting yourself out there because you can help other people with your perspective and your story and your experience. And each person has so much to offer. Eugenia, where can we connect with you, learn more about your book or anything else that you have going on? Thank you. I have a website, eugeniajordan.com. There's a newsletter. You can sign up for the newsletter. You can learn a, a little bit more about my book and what I do. I'm also on all the platforms. So if LinkedIn is your jam, find me on there. If Instagram is your jam, I'm on there. Facebook, Twitter. I'm on there, so it's the newsletter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, platform of your choice. And I'm on Amazon. The book is on Amazon. And for every book that is being purchased, I donate a copy to a nonprofit or an organization that empowers people like me to become leaders. So by purchasing a book, you're contributing to the mission of changing the face of leadership. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much, Eugenia. I really appreciate your experience, your perspective, and so, so much wisdom today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you've enjoyed it, I would love for you to subscribe. If you're already a subscriber, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend. Hope you all have an amazing week. Until next time. Bye.